This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection, and I am really excited to preach about money, (laughs) which is unusual because I am a Dutchman. And first of all, for a Dutchman to be excited, period, about anything at all is already supernatural. And even more, for a Dutchman to be excited about giving money away, that is the finger of God. Actually, the reason that I am excited is because the Bible and Jesus in his teaching has good news for us about money. So let's pray. Father, would you send down your spirit now? Would you set captives free? Would you hover in close and draw us into your love? Cover us with your love. Fill us with your love. And open our ears to hear the message that you have to give us through your son and his teaching. And Lord, would you make us more and more like you? Make us generous like you. And thank you that we get to be like you. We love you. And we receive your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in a three-week series on money, money giving in the church, Uh, but we're excited because this series is not tied to or connected to a generosity initiative or or a capital campaign. There's nothing we're trying to buy or fix right now. Now, generosity initiatives have their place. They do good work. They accomplish necessary things, so nothing bad on that. But it's great to have the freedom to just talk about what does the Bible teach about money? because it's a matter of discipleship. What are we supposed to do with our money? What does the Bible say? What do mature followers of Jesus do? So that's what we're gonna do. The the passages this morning, interestingly enough, um, I did not select them. They're part of the lectionary reading. So they're, they're what the church around the world is reading today. So it's perfect timing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, a few weeks ago, I was reading the autobiography of Hudson Taylor. And in there, I read something that reminded me a lot of the story of the widow from the gospel today. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit of this story. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in the 19th century who brought the gospel to China. But before he went to China, while he was still in England, to prepare himself, he started to live more and more simply to the point where he was giving two-thirds of his income away. And he said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave away, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. God, even my God, was a living, bright reality. And for some of you here this morning, God is not a living and bright reality, and the reason is you're not giving. The story goes on, however, interestingly enough. So also as part of preparation for the mission field in China, he says, In China, I know I'm not going to be able to depend on any other human being. I'm going to depend on God alone. So I want to start practicing that kind of trust right now. So he's working for a doctor at the time. And the doctor, a good man, but forgetful, he said, Hudson, when it comes to payday, remind me. I I will forget. Just tell me when it's time to pay you. And I will. And Hudson took this opportunity to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. When payday comes, if he has forgotten, I'm going to instead pray, ask God for what I need, and keep doing that until God tells him or takes care of my needs in another way. Well, sure enough, as time went on, the doctor would forget occasionally. And as it happened, there was one instance where Hudson was down to his final 
coin. He had one coin in his pocket. That's what made me think of, of the widow's uh, story of the widow and her two coins. He was down to his final coin. It was a Sunday evening, and he was doing his usual preaching at the poor houses, uh, praying, ministering there. And as he was leaving to go back home, a man ran up to him and said, please, would you come and pray for my wife? She's dying. He's a poor man. And Hudson asked him, have you gone to anybody for help? And he said, well, I, I did, but because I don't have anything to give them, no one will come to help. So Hudson went. And as he went, he said there was this stoppage of joy. All the joy that he had been experiencing stopped because he thought, I have that coin in my pocket. But he'd made up his mind, I'm not going to give it. He had food for dinner that night. He had food for breakfast the next morning. After that, he was out of food, and this was his last coin, his bottom dollar, so to speak. So he had made up his mind not to give it. And he was distressed because this whole experiment was him learning to trust God, and he's like, oh, I, I guess I can trust God for everything except down to my last penny. He walks into the squalor of that apartment, and his distress grows. He sees a woman there failing in health next to her, a three-day-old infant also failing in health, five children with sunken in cheeks. And understandably, he says, I had nothing to say to them. I had no comfort I could give. And he tried to talk about the Heavenly Father who provides everything, and he said, the tongue just stuck to the roof of my mouth. Because inside, my heart was saying, you hypocrite. You're not trusting God. Give that last coin. How can you tell them to trust when you're not trusting? But he fought it, and he said, well, maybe I'll pray. Prayer always works. So he starts to pray, but he can't pray. Finally, the man, the poor man, in his exasperation, just says, look, if you can do anything for God's sake, help us. And Hudson remembered when Jesus said, if anyone asks you, give. So he stood up, reached into his pocket, handed his last coin, and he said, truly, this, this is all that I have to give you, and I give it to you. And he writes in his autobiography that a burst of joy went forth from his heart. He proclaimed the gospel. He said, you have a father in heaven, and now he could say it with meaning, who will take care of you. And indeed, the woman survived, but he said, not only was her life saved that night, my life was saved that night. Sure enough, the next morning, before he had even finished breakfast. There was a knock at the door and a letter unmarked, and in it were four coins, these coins of the same value as the one that he had given away. And he, he said, wow, 400% interest <laughs> overnight. I, I bet the merchants in my town would love to exchange money at that rate. He said, praise God. So that story, or the widow of Zarephath, who, who Elijah said, give me some bread, and then when you go back, the flour will not run out, the oil will ru not run out. Or the story of the widow who gave her last two coins to the temple treasury, and Jesus rewarded her with honor. These stories tell us something really important, that if you give, even when it doesn't make sense, God will reward you. If you give, even when it doesn't make sense, when the numbers don't add up, God will reward you. Now, of course, we hear stories like the Hudson story or the widow of Zarephath, and, and we ask, well, is that miracle going to happen every time? I'll address that later. But also what these stories show us and tell us is that at the heart of giving is trust. 
even more than obedience. This is about trust. Yes, obedience is part of it, but this is more about, do I trust that I have a Father in heaven who will take care of me? If I take care of others, he will take care of me. Do I believe that? Because I know that there are many of you here who are not giving, not because you're greedy. Some of you, you might have an issue with greed, but I know that for many of you, the issue is not that you're greedy, and it's not that you have a stubborn, rebellious, disobedient heart. You're simply afraid. You feel threatened when the subject of money even comes up, especially in church. Did you notice in our scripture readings there was a preponderance of widows? There's the widow of Zarephath. Earlier when Jesus is teaching, he said, don't be like the scribes, they devour widows' houses. And then, of course, the widow who gave for two copper coins. Why? What's the importance of widows? In that time, much like today with single mothers, widows were the most vulnerable financially in the entire society. No one was more vulnerable financially than the widow. And there are some of you this morning where you may not be a widow or you might not be a single mother, but you're saying, I resonate with that. I feel financially very vulnerable right now. Others of you, you're not afraid. You're angry. The payments are bigger than you thought they would be. Your salary is lower than you expected at this point it would be. You've made financial mistakes, and now you're living with the results of that. And you're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me clean up this mess? I have loans. I'm in debt. We're in credit card debt. And when you, he when you hear tall, skinny guys stand up front and say, let's talk about giving, you get angry. I understand that. And that's actually a right and good response for you to be angry. For others of you, the issue is, is not about fear or anger so much as it's mistrust in the church. For a number of reasons, either because you've been burned or you've, you've heard enough stories that when people are giving to the church, you know that can be abused. And of course, it can be and has been and is deplorable every time that happens. So your issue is not that you don't trust God, you don't trust resurrection. You don't trust a local church. Now, Matthew, uh, Father Matt, next week is going to speak more directly to that issue of, at resurrection, how do we handle our money? Because it is important for you to know. And we have to be honest, transparent, and above board. I won't speak to that today, but I just want to name that because I know that is a factor for some of you. So if there's fear, anger, mistrust, why talk about money at all? Well, because we're sacramental. And that means that outward visible things have an inward spiritual meaning to them. And money has meaning. Money matters. What we do with our money says something about what's in here. It speaks a spiritual message. So when you give, you are speaking a spiritual message. First, you're speaking to God and you're saying, I honor you. Every time you give, you're saying to God, I honor you. Here's why. When the Israelites were on the cusp of entering into the promised land, they were waiting on the other side of the Jordan. And God said to them, now when you go in and you're reaping your fields and you're harvesting and you're building wealth and you're getting rich, don't let your heart be lifted up and you say to yourself, by my might and my power have I gotten this wealth for myself. But you must know that it is I, the Lord, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So when we give, we're saying, Lord, 
Even the ability to make money comes from you, let alone all money that I have is yours to begin with. David, later on in the story, he gathers all the Israelites and he's collecting from them money to build the temple. And they give generously. And his heart is lifted up. And at the end of First Chronicles, there's this beautiful prayer. And he says, Lord, who are we that we're able to give so generously? But all that we have comes from you. And of your own, we give back to you what is yours. So when we give, we're speaking a spiritual message that this money is not actually mine. I'm a steward. So you're saying, I honor you. The second message, when you give, you're saying, I trust you. I trust that you will do what you said you will do. You'll take care of me and those that I am taking care of. The third message, that when you give, you send a spiritual message, not to God this time, but to money itself, who Jesus equates money with a false god, a deity called mammon. He names it, and he says, money and the love of money is mammon, and you cannot serve God and mammon. And when you give, you speak a message to mammon where you say, you don't own me. I'm free of you. You don't control me. I control you. You don't own me, money. I own you. You don't I don't serve you, you serve me. And it's a word of freedom that we speak. So what is the spiritual message that your financial records are speaking? If you were to go in and look back at the bank bank statement from this month or the last few months, what is the story that your bank statement is telling? Is the message, my money is my money? Or is the message, My money is God's money. Is the message, I trust you and I know that you'll take care of me, or is the message, I don't trust you? I might say that I do, but my actions show that I don't. For still others of you here, you're not afraid. You're not angry. You trust resurrection. You give regularly, joyfully, and genuinely. But are you too comfortable in your giving? When was the last time you gave in a way that didn't make sense? It was uncomfortable. It didn't fit in the budget. According to your human calculations, you shouldn't have done that. When was the last time you took that risk? Because if you're like me and you were taught to tithe from a very young age, and so that's been your practice, it's easier to to do that when, when you start out that way. But then we have to resist the temptation to say, well, I'm good. This message isn't for me. I already give. I give regularly. I don't need to be challenged. Because when I read the story of the widow who puts in her two copper coins, or I I read Hudson Taylor's story, I say, whoa, okay, I guess I don't trust like that. I don't have generosity like that. I have room to grow in my trust too and in my generosity. So all of us here, all of us have room to grow. You can say, I'm good, when you're dropping the last two pennies in the treasury. But the hope is that by the end of this sermon and the end of our series, our prayer will be, God, heal me. Give me the faith to trust you, to give when it doesn't make sense. And to believe that if you give, even when it doesn't make sense, God will reward you. So yeah, we've got two stories today of widows, one from Zarephath, 
Did you notice how when Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath and she says, all I have left is a cup of flour and a few drops of oil. He says, go and make the bread and give it to me. Why? Because Elijah was really selfish. No, just kidding. Because Elijah was testing her faith in that moment. He was saying, go make the bread, give to me first, and the flour will not run out and the oil will not run dry. And she didn't say, no way, you're crazy. She, she went and she did it. That doesn't make any sense, but she did it. And if you want to look in, in the Mark passage today, the widow who gave her two copper coins. Look at verse 43. Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, I'm telling you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. He's saying, here is absolute surrender. Here is total trust in God. Here is wholehearted devotion to God. He's saying, she gave more. Now, if we think that this is just a figure of speech or a metaphor, Jesus is actually making a factual financial statement. True, if you measure up the amount just by value and, and what we would call dollar amount, She's given nothing compared to what the others have given. But if you switch around the numbers, but we're still using numbers here, and go by percentage, she's given 100%. And none of them did. So he, he's not just being spiritual or mystical. He's saying a financial fact. She gave more. So much has been made of Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett and other billionaires who have pledged to give you know, up to 99% of their vast fortune away. And taking nothing away from what they've done, that's truly remarkable. There are not many people who, in that position, would choose to do that. Okay, so taking nothing away from them. But you and I know that even 1% of their fortune is still more than all of our incomes put together, multiplied many times over. So what would be really remarkable is if they said, we're giving 100%. We're selling it all. We're donning the Franciscan habit, and we're walking the streets begging for our food. That would be remarkable, and they would be in the history books for centuries to come. And Jesus is saying, the widow gave more, even than Bill and Melinda Gates. She gave more. Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So let's not overlook this detail of the two coins. This is really significant. Here's why. Because having two coins, she could have said, I'm giving one, and she would still be giving, and I'm going to keep the other because even with that small coin, she might have been able to buy like a half a loaf of bread. But no, she said, I'm giving both. I'm giving it all. That doesn't make any sense. And I do, I, I wonder, try to imagine what was going through her mind that morning when she was deciding what she would do later at the temple. Was she afraid? Was she deliberating? Should it be one? Should it be two? One or both? And I wonder when she put those two coins in the treasury, did she like Hudson Taylor? have this burst of joy flowing from her heart. And in that moment, no, I get to be like God right now. I get to be generous. I get to be a giver. 
These two widows and the story of Hudson Taylor, they discovered that if you give, even when it makes no sense, God will reward you. So I want to shift and talk about the nature of the reward. And for those of you who maybe have a little radar going up about prosperity gospel, uh, do me a favor. Don't start arguing with me in your head. Listen to what I am saying, all right? And if you want to have a conversation about the prosperity gospel later, I'd love to have it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, great. Let's just move forward. <laughs> because the first reward that I want to talk about is material reward. Sometimes you will risk. You will give when it doesn't make sense, and God will reward you with an immediate, miraculous financial provision. Sometimes that will happen. That's what happened with the widow of Zarephath. There was a little bit of flour, but it never ran out. A little bit of oil, it didn't go anywhere. That's what happened for Hudson Taylor. Money showed up the next day out of nowhere. He can do that. Immediate and miraculous financial provision might be the reward that you have when you take the risk to give. But of course, for you and yes, for me, the question comes, does that happen every time? If I do this, can I expect that kind of miracle? And I think the answer is, we don't know. No, I, I don't think you can expect a miracle like that every time. So what's important to say then? Well, if we don't know whether or not that amazing immediate financial provision will come in a miraculous way, what do we know? Two things. First, we know that it is possible. So let's not rule it out as a possibility. It could happen. And there are enough stories here in this church of people who've said, I've taken a risk, I gave when the numbers weren't adding up, and then God did something amazing. So it does happen. And so in your calculations, when you're adding up the numbers, and if you say, if we give, or if I give, objectively, we will have nothing less, God would say, are you sure? You can't be too sure about that. It might not be that way. God might say, I, I love defying your human calculations. But if we don't know that every time there will be a miraculous provision, then there's something else that we do know. And I actually think this is the more fundamental reality. The second thing that we do know is that God has promised to take care of you. That even if it isn't in a sudden, miraculous, amazing story kind of way, that one way or another, you will have your basic needs met. So Jesus, when he was teaching on money on the Sermon on the Mount, he said these really famous, important, we need to hear them all the time words. He said, look at the birds. They don't sow in the fields, they don't reap, they don't store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than birds? So don't be anxious about money. Or, or look at the flowers. They neither toil nor spin, which when I was a kid, I always imagined flowers going like this. And I was like, well, of course they don't spin. <laughs> spin clothes. He said, they don't toil, they don't spin, and yet God clothes them even more gloriously than he clothed Solomon himself. If God so clothes the lilies of the field and the flowers which are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Take care of your needs. 
So don't ask, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you. And sometimes that will be with sudden, miraculous financial provision. But even if not, we know we have this promise. He will take care of you. All right, so that's material reward. There is also spiritual reward. And if the material reward may or may not happen, I know that the spiritual reward happens every time you give. So look at the widow. Jesus gives her this reward of of honor. Honor is a spiritual reward. He's pointing her out. And now, 2,000 years later, we're still reading the story. And what's interesting is she was at a distance. She probably didn't even know, till the day she died, she probably didn't even know that this episode happened. Imagine her shock when she shows up in heaven and her friends are like, did you know you were in the Bible? She's like, what? Get out of here. No, there it is. Yeah, Mark 12, get out of here. Why didn't they put my name in there? So Jesus honors her, and you know he will honor you when you give and you trust. Also, what we've been talking about all along, the greatest spiritual reward that you have even in this life is the freedom from fear, the freedom that joy in giving gives to you, the the joy of becoming like your Father in heaven who is generous above all and always the first giver. There's also the eternal reward, the eternal spiritual reward. So Jesus gives some investment advice, and and it's a lot like, uh, or it's from the same passage earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us what to do with our money. And I think sometimes we imagine that Jesus' investment advice must be like really mystical, spiritual, like feet not on the ground, right? Like the end of It's a Wonderful Life when when George has lost the money and and the angel Clarence comes, and and George's like, you you don't have $8,000, do you? And and, and Clarence says, where I come from, we don't have money. And, And what does George say? Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. And so we think uh, Jesus is the same way. He's, he's aloof. He's, his investment advice is probably not all that helpful in, in this life or at all. And actually, Jesus' investment advice is super practical. He says in that same passage, don't lay up your treasures here on earth where rust destroys, where moth eats away and thieves break in and steal. Instead, put your treasures in heaven Invest your money in the kingdom of God because there, no moths can get there. Rust doesn't destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. He's basically saying, look, if you had two banks and one bank was always getting robbed and broken into and the other never, it was fine, it was a great bank, of those two options, where would you put your money? That's easy. You'd put it in the second bank. Jesus is saying there is a really secure place to put your bank. Or it's like if you're in investment, you're always looking for a great deal, right? But you also know that high risk is what you need to do to get high reward. So high risk investments are more likely to yield high reward, but they're also likely to go bust. Low risk investments are more secure, but you can expect a low reward. So here Jesus is saying, how about a low risk, no risk investment with high return? That's what he's promising. It's like what Hudson said, opening up the letter, 400%. That is a great exchange rate. And of course, the best and final proof that God rewards those who give 
even when it doesn't make sense, is our Lord Jesus himself. So in the book of Revelation, it's sort of a fast-forward snapshot of the eternal kingdom of heaven. And there's one scene where all of heaven is gathered around the throne and they're worshiping the lamb. So Jesus is called the lamb who was slain. And they're singing this song and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain. That's referring to his death on the cross because in his death on the cross, Jesus had a moment where it did not make sense for him from a human standpoint to give what he gave. Just go ask the disciples. Okay, when he was being arrested, tortured and executed, was that making sense to you? Did you see in all of that a pathway through to victory? They say, no, that made no sense at all. But Jesus knew if I give now when it makes no sense and I give everything, the widow gave her last two coins. He gave his last final breath. If I give everything now, there is a reward for me. And so now the lamb who was slain is being worshiped and they're saying, by your blood, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. A little bit more about your reward. And they shall reign on the earth. Then John says, I looked and I heard around the throne living creatures and their voices were swelling and there was a multitude of voices and a chorus that erupted in praise saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and all the angels of heaven back down, bowed in worship because all of heaven sees you gave it all when it didn't make sense and now your reward is worship and glory and a kingdom that will never end. So Jesus shows us, if you give, even when it doesn't make sense, there will be a reward. And if not in this life, you will be taken care of, and in the life to come, a reward beyond what you can imagine. For the last couple minutes here, I, I want to get more practical. Father Matt next week is, is going to really dig down into the practice of giving, but a few things just to get us thinking. Okay, you might have a question. Okay, if I'm young, what should I do? Well, if you're in middle school, high school, if you're in college or recently graduated and you might be thinking, when I make more, that's when I'll start giving. No, 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 no. Now is the best time to start giving because now you're not totally responsible for yourself or the responsibilities that are on you are so much lower. Just ask somebody who's in their 30s, a mortgage, ask, you know, trying to take care of a family, how easy it is for them to raise their giving. So start giving now while you're young. Don't wait. You might ask, what if I have no income? Again, maybe I'm a student or maybe I'm unemployed right now. What should I do? Well, anytime money comes in, like a part-time job or, or whatever the case may be, the principle of first fruits in the Bible is you take that 10% and you give it right away as a way to say, God, I trust you and I honor you. So whenever money does come in, you do that. But second, even if no money is coming in, give anyway. And if it's $5 a month, if it's $5 a year, that is awesome because you're keeping your generosity heart engaged. So give something, even if you have no income. All right, last question. How and where do I give? So briefly, I'm just going to share with you what Julie and I practice. So the cornerstone of our giving and actually the cornerstone of our entire financial budget is to give to the church. We were taught to tithe 10%. We practice that. And the first 10% always goes back to God. So the widow, when she gave her coins, where did she give it? The temple. The New Testament says, 
The church is now the living temple. So our first place that we're giving is the church. Now, if right now you're not giving anything at all, I don't expect you. I mean, it would be amazing, and I do believe God will meet you. I don't expect you to jump to 10%. If you're not giving anything, start giving something. And if you're giving something, but it's not regular, or it's not 10%, gradually start moving yourself up to that 10% tithe. If you are tithing, then along with giving to the church, your eyes are open to kingdom investments, ministries that you want to support and say yes, amen to. Maybe it's some of our uh, partners out in the diocese. Uh, Maybe it's missionaries across the world, those who are loving and caring uh, for the poor. Look for kingdom ways to invest your money. And here's where those of you who maybe are comfortable and settled in your giving and you don't want to be stretched, just open your heart and see if the Lord lays on your heart a way to give to a kingdom work that will cause you to trust in him. And then the third place that we give, and this is for all of us, and this is keeping eyes wide open, is we we try to give whenever we can to the poor and the needy that we know or those who are serving them. And maybe that there's somebody in your life, extended relative, neighbor, a friend here from church, and the Lord's going to lay it on your heart to bless them in in a way that will cause you to trust. But we'll bless them, we'll bless you. So Jesus loved the widow because he saw in her the same trust, the same heart of love and sacrifice that he himself had. He knew that in a matter of only four days, he would be called upon to give it all. So if you're here at the end of this sermon and you're saying, I I want to have that trust and that faith, but I don't yet, look to Jesus, who is not only your example, but he is your strength. He gives us what we don't have and say, heal me. I want to have the faith to give when it doesn't make sense. I want to be able to trust you. Put what you have in your heart when you went to the cross. Put that in me. The Lord will answer that prayer. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.